And so people are generous with this. And that's one of the good things about being small scale. It's more of a, a person to person thing. We're dealing with each other as people primarily rather than customer proprietor. Right. That's the way we like to approach it. I think in the long run, it's just a more hum human thing to do. In this episode, NCAT Sustainable Agriculture Specialist Martine Garana joins Robert Ramming to talk about Robert's UPIC operation near Woodland, California. Pacific Star Garden offers apricots, berries, melons, tomatoes, and eggs. It sells both from a roadside stand and from UPIC fields. Robert discusses crop choices for UPIC, why blackberries are great and vegetables not so good, for example, as well as the importance of building customer loyalty and the effect the COVID-19 pandemic had on folks' attitude toward their food. Martine and Robert recorded their conversation outside, so you might hear some wind in the background. But stick with it. The conversation's worth it. Let's listen. This is um, Martine Garana, um, Sustainable Ag Specialist with the National Center for Appropriate Technology. And today I'm speaking with Robert Ramming of Pacific Star Garden Farms in uh, Yolo County, south of Woodland, north of Davis. And, um, well, I'll hand it over to Bob to give you a little background on himself and his operation. We have a 40-acre farm. Uh, we grow a mixed variety of things, vegetables, fruits. We have some poultry for eggs. Uh, we've been at it, uh, this is our 27th year. Uh, when we started, I was going to grow organic tomatoes for wholesale, and uh, it became apparent after a few years that at small scale, wholesale is a good way to lose, lose your shirt. So after I lost my shirt, well, my wife had gotten us into farmer's markets, set the kids up with a stand on the roadside, and we became a retail farm. Uh, we've been certified organic all that time. Uh, recently, we, we quit doing farmer's markets. Kids are grown and gone, so we dropped the, certif the organic certification, but we kept registered organic for transplants we produce in our greenhouse uh, for other small growers. So we stand to the threshold there, but we still follow all the uh, um, organic practices. That's just how we've always farmed. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when we quit doing the farmer's markets, we basically sell only from the farm here. We have a, a little roadside stand and we do you pick strawberries and blackberries and apricots. And then in the summer we have tomatoes, melons, watermelons. We sell at the stands on weekends. And we have egg subscribers who come to the farm and pick up their eggs from a drawer their given day. Um, the whole so, key with it. So do you do any um, subscription with other products? No, we used to do a CSA subscription, but really a, what I would counsel anybody getting into the small-scale agriculture is avoid vegetables. You know, <laughs> here out here, so this is our family garden. but So how many acres us, do you have here? Well, the whole place is 40 acres. The family garden is about a tenth of an acre. The strawberry patch is a half acre. The blackberry patch, we just doubled it. It's a half acre now. We have about a half acre of apricots. We've got three acres of, well, right now, dry pasture with about 200 birds. Yeah, the, the vegetables, CSA, didn't work out. It's way too much labor at a small scale for the bit of money. And people just don't eat their vegetables. After a while, they drift away. Even though we kept the box really varied, um, what it comes down to is fat, sugar, and alcohol. So, you know, the tomatoes. <laughs> and you can't melons, sell alcohol. Uh, well, you know, someday we, we're growing some, some hops and barley for oh, beer, yeah, but yeah. you can get a small craft license, but it takes years to, to develop that. So when people ask me what should be done, well, strawberries are good, especially if it's you pick, but they are a lot of labor and a lot of money up every year. Uh, blackberries are the best. 
The plants are cheap. You get a crop the second year. Uh, you're pruning all your labor. You can do over a long period of many weeks. You don't have to do it all at once. You can just be open on the weekends. You can keep a full-time job. And, you know, once the plants are in, you don't even need a tractor. Uh-huh. So, it, so at the roadside stand, you, you don't have the, the option of people just going and buying. They have to come in and pick. Uh, yeah, well, right now we have the transplants at the stand. That's one okay. benefit to the pandemic is a lot of garden transplants. We, we, we pot them up. We start veggie transplants in, in uh, trays in our greenhouse. Then we pot them up to three inch pots and uh, we leave that on self-serve. Uh, but yeah, the strawberries, the fruit, that's all strictly you pick. We, we don't have any employees. So it's, wow. so that's a know, big saving. There's an old book, uh, Robert Watley wrote it. He was a professor at university of Oklahoma back in the seventies. How to make a hundred thousand dollars on twenty-five acres? And, yeah, <laughs> you know, basically it was you pick. This was written back before computers. Yeah. It was grow stuff that people will come out and pick, whether it's you know, green beans or fruit, and you can grow twenty. One family can grow twenty-five acres of stuff. You set it up with hours. You know, there's a lot of you pick places up north for blueberries, and yeah. basically that was a thing. If you're going to make money small-scale farming, the customer has to do the picking. Now, now before the pandemic. Was the U pick as successful as well, it is these last during? two years? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it was always what I'd call successful, but the last two years have just been incredible. People are so grateful. They'd have parents out with their toddlers, tears in their eyes. Thank you so much for being open. Yes. You know, a place yes. to let the kids run loose and get the fruit. So we hope this carries over after the pandemic too. But and part of this was the drought. It's kind of where we had you know very little rainfall last. Yeah, the previous winter and then this past winter. And so instead of losing a lot of the strawberries to rain, every one of them got picked and used to be, oh, we tell people, if you want a good pick, come out on Wednesday because nobody comes out on Wednesday. Well, no, every day, everything was getting picked. And I would love to expand the strawberries, but frankly, you you just, we don't have the labor to plant at the time. Well, and, and here in the Central Valley, I mean, right now we're in the beginning of June and we've already hit triple digit. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that's not good for berries, for no, strawberries. No, they're getting, yeah, they get fried. And they're on yeah. the downslope now, but it's odd. We've been doing the strawberries for 15, 17 years now. And when we started, it's the same variety. We grow nothing but Chandler's because they're mm-hmm. the, the best flavor and everything. Um, but we'd tell people, come out April 15th, tax day. And that's when we'd have enough to open you pick. And then the last five or six years, it's just been getting earlier and earlier and earlier. Last year... We opened uh, was about it's late March, March twenty fifth or something. This year is March fifteenth. Mm. We had so many wow. strawberries we had to open up. So, so it, one, one advantage of uh, climate change. Yeah, it could be climate change <laughs> plus you know the very dry winter, yeah. and uh, yeah, the extra heat. But you know, early start it's an early shut off. They're on the downslope now, and right. they'll be done before the end of the month. So. Of course, there's advantages and disadvantages to you pick. The first thing that comes to mind, of course, is uh, labor. You don't pay much in labor. But one disadvantage to that is that you have people that go out there and don't pick right or sometimes damage plants or don't. You know, don't pick uniformly. So how is that's that the advantage to blackberries with thorns. Oh. <laughs> they don't damage the plants. <laughs> but having said that, we we have added. Uh, Initially, with the blackberries, we tried a whole lot of them many years ago. And back then, that was about 20 years ago, we were not happy with the thornless, semi-erect kind. The, the flavor just didn't seem to be there compared to the lolly berries and marion berries. Those are just superb flavor. 
but they are trailing thorny vines and they're more difficult to prune and so forth. And since then, University of Arkansas has come out with different varieties and other ones have two where the flavor is much better. So I scanned them all and researched them last year and settled on some varieties. And, you know, there's been many different commercial varieties out. So I look for the ratings from universities. Anything that said really firm for good shipping, I wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. One more suitable for backyard. Ah, okay, that's good. Uh, some they actually had flavor ratings. They did flavor, acidity, sugar content, and so forth. So I chose a handful of varieties to try, but the whole idea is the semi-erect thornless so that we don't have to deal with trailing vines and because it's just my wife and I doing the, the pruning. Yeah. And we thought, well, if this works out, we'll, we'll do more of those because the old patch of Alala berries is kind of given out and uh, it's time to replace them with something. Mm -hmm. So we'll know in a couple of years. But uh, we also have the apricots, which around here is endemic with brown rot. We, they'll bloom. And then the years, if, if the blossoms crisp up and fall, turn brown, then we know we're not going to get any fruit. So maybe one out of four or five years we'll get fruit. This year, it was weird, no blossoms. I think it might have had to do with chilling hours. Chilling, yeah. Because we only had a couple of light frosts, nothing, no killing frost. So it's possible that they're in this area. I know people um, in Davis who have apricots. Yeah, but they could have a variety. Of, yeah, maybe they have a yeah. low chilling hour requirements. Yeah. Maybe they got, a, you know, you get over there towards Cape Valley yeah. and they get a little more severe weather, mm -hmm. they get more cold. But in our little pocket here, it's possible we just didn't get the chilling hours. So that's a shame because the apricots sell really good. Yeah. For, for you pick fruit, you know, we, we had other things and we've seen other people try stuff. Apples, peaches, well, you know, peaches, you can't let ripen on a tree. They right. got to be mature, but still firm. They got to be handled properly. Apples, kind of the same thing and you got to it's hard to pick an apple without damaging the spur right. uh, so when it comes to you pick fruit that people will drive a long way for for the sugar mm -hmm. what we found is blackberries strawberries and yeah. apricots yeah well uh, with uh, fruit trees of course there's uh you need ladders and there's that whole liability well, we put in issues. Some, we put in yeah. uh, semi-dwarf varieties because oh. with our insurance company we couldn't got get it. you pick insurance for, for the trees, unless it was all feet on the ground. So so there uh, is insurance specifically for you pick up. Uh, yeah, it used to be when we started the farm, uh, well, we started the, yeah, the small scale. It was um, Cal Farm Insurance that got bought up by Nationwide then, and they were the only one stop for you pick. Now, I, I think I've seen references to two or three other companies that, oh. because it wasn't just you pick, it was like having a farm stand, yeah. you know, and selling at farmers markets. It wasn't your typical agriculture. Right. And uh, we found reasonable insurance uh, yeah, for the you pick thing, but yeah, no customers on ladders. Right, uh, right. And as far as the, the tomatoes, the other vegetables. It's not worth it to have that as a, a you pick. Now, having said that, this family garden here, we do have four or five other families. Yeah that are interested in, in in this, so we grow more than just what our couple of families can eat. And they, So you, you they, lease out that, that piece well, of land? Well, actually, there are, in our front garden by the yeah. stand, uh, we have some little beds, and there are some you know, friends from church who wanted to uh, to rent a, some beds, so oh. for a few dollars a month they can rent a bed, and I put the drip in, and okay. and they can get urge, you know, get their gardening urge scratched there. So how many how many families do you Oh, have? well, there's three that all went in together. Yeah. They're, they're all like three best friends that they're in their families and they all have little kids yeah, yeah i think you've seen them out here and then there's another person she and her daughter has rented three short beds and uh so i thought well I don't necessarily want to be a landlord but right. kind of know these people and sure. it's not like i'm going to set up a huge community garden and turn it into a big business right. and then there are some that 
that like to pick and they understand the vegetables and so that we trust them to come out and just pick through our personal garden and and they leave a note and money for whatever they take but again it's not like the business end of things um and we're not going to really let people do you pick on the tomatoes because the tomatoes are so valuable and you can pick you know we use the short stake determinant kind and when they hit a flush uh you can pick three or four hundred pounds an hour one yeah. person so it's pointless to have somebody out there messing with your plants right. and, so you, you, you basically pick the vegetables and take them to the right. stand. And at, at the stand, the primary things, which will start at the end of this month, melons, watermelons, and tomatoes. Oh, Again, okay. it's just sugar stuff. Yeah. Things that if you let them ripen all the way, they're so much better than what you'll find in the standard you know, wholesale vegetable outlets. Um, oh, so sure. we, we grow the variety. Even a lot of them are commercial varieties, but you know, we test them first. Sure. And the key is let them ripen all the way. You know, ripen beyond the point where you'd normally pick them for shipping. Like cantaloupe, they'll you know they'll pick them at quarter slip or half slip. We let them go full slip, and uh, you know, That's like the ambrosias, they won't last one more day after we pick them. We got to make sure they're in the shade. Right. Can't stack them more than two deep, and after four or five days, they're no good. But oh, it's like eating candy. Sure. Yeah. And uh, the fact that well, you're no longer certified organic. How do you advertise? What do you well, say? we don't advertise. Yeah. We've been at this so many years. We have our own customer base. We don't even send out oh. emails anymore. My my wife puts stuff on Facebook yeah. just to let people know what's going on. So um, people have known you for a while. Right. And... The main reason we were certified organic was for the farmer's markets. Yeah. Because there, you're just seeing somebody across the table. They're not on your land. But here, we're out here. If they have questions, we can answer them. They can sure. see what's grown. They can walk around the farm. Um, I, I when we first started selling from the farm, I was a bit curmudgeonly about it. The kids were little. I was losing my shirt wholesaling, and I was grumpy about it. But my wife had the little kids set up card table next to the driveway. And occasionally they say, Dad, this, this guy wants to know or see the plants. And I found, actually, I like showing our farm yeah. and how we do things and the history of it and, and the way we do things. You mentioned you, you also sell eggs, uh, also meat? Uh, we did a couple of times. With uh, uh, our, A lot of our main customer base is our egg subscribers because they come to the farm year-round. Mm -hmm. So even though a couple of years ago we, we quit leaving the tomatoes and melons out at the stand by themselves with our honor box because we found out the last couple of years people haven't been so honorable. So if our egg <laughs> subscribers want something, since they go into a locked cabinet, they would just let us know and with their eggs would also pile in tomatoes, a couple of cantaloupe or watermelon. Uh -huh. And that's probably, you know, we'll do that this year. And uh, it, the difference in egg taste is huge when you have pastured birds yes. and they can get bugs and you can yes. throw extra veggies into them. People notice that. And so they're willing to drive. Of course, we're close to town. That's the key. Right. Uh, people, if you're going to do small agriculture, be close to your customers. We're, what, about a mile and a half from Woodland, about four and a half miles from Davis. So we've got literally within a bike ride we have yeah. over a hundred thousand people and so we've and you know, a major finding... highway yeah it's we weren't happy with the roadway when we bought here on, on road 99 it was better than road 98 but it's a lot <laughs> yeah. of traffic it's but it's mainly commuter between woodland and davis yes. and a lot of bicycles go by there's a bike lane and so uh it's it's visible and so the yeah. the actually the high level of traffic was turned to our advantage but with the way we do things we have no shipping like I say, since we don't haul stuff to farmers markets, we don't do certified organic anymore. We have no labeling, no marketing, no advertising, no packaging, no yeah, no labeling, and uh, so basically, it's uh, the trust you've uh, developed with your customers, right? Sell, right. Sells, yeah, and 
you know, so we've had to change a little bit. So like I said, instead of leaving things piled up out at the stand and trust the honor box, we still do the you pick fruit on the mm -hmm. honor system because, you know, we don't have uh, employees, so right. we can't tend the stand. But in the summer when we have tomatoes, melons, watermelons, we'll just be open on the weekends and we'll take turns okay. kind of sitting around just very limited hours. It used to be 24 seven. Yeah. Tomatoes and melons piled up, but those days are gone, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As far as uh, new farmers trying to get into this U-Pick market, what, what kind of advice would you uh, would Well, you you've got to be a people person or be married to one, <laughs> as my wife. Um, and uh, you want to make sure that you've got some uh, decent parking. Our little gravel parking lot will hold like 15 cars, uh -huh. which is fine for our size, but... Yeah. We only have a half acre of strawberries and it's not very big. But yeah, Watley's book, um, uh, he went through the logistics of that. You know, lay out a parking lot, have a gate in, a gate out, set your kids up with a scale so as people are leaving, they can, you know, sell them whatever, whatever, even if they haul dirt away. You know? <laughs> I thought that was kind of a joke. And then one year, son calls me and says, There's somebody here who wants to buy some of our soil. I said, Well, um, how much does he want? Oh, like a grocery bag full. And I said, Well, Three dollars a pound, just like the vegetables. Unfortunately, <laughs> you know, it was dry soil, so he didn't pay too much. But yeah, so the, the there's been things written about the U pick, you know, yeah. for particular like blueberry bushes they have, where they give customers a flag in their pocket and say, "You just keep picking, and when you're done, leave your flag there, so the next person knows where to start." Uh -huh. uh, with strawberries, our patch is so small, it's kind of a free for all. We tell people, you know, go further out. Look yeah. under the leaves, you know, look where other people don't. If there's a weed there next to the plant, well, that plant might have strawberries that people have overlooked. So, right, right. So you do give them some type of instruction. Yeah, it, but we're not on top of things. You know, mm -hmm. maybe we suffer some losses, but um, we just can't afford having employees. Yeah. We used to have employees way back when, but um, we finally started turning a profit when we started selling full retail here on yeah. the farm yeah. and no employees. And yeah. I think that's the key to small scale farming. You know, you're not going to make a very big hourly wage, but um, at least you can try not to lose too much money. <laughs> right, right. The other thing, too, I notice uh, a lot of young children from toddlers to like six, seven, oh, eight yeah. year olds. That's what people like. They can bring their little kids out here yeah. and yeah, they step on strawberry plants and there's yeah. damage. But, you know, that I think people overpay during the pandemic. Yeah. Instead of finding like coins and ones in the box we'd find tens and twenties you know we, we could catch people who were rounding up yeah you know so right. for every person that might underpay us i think there's five that yeah. that overpay us and are just grateful for the because a lot of people say oh what do you charge to get in i guess right. some places charge admission uh -huh. but you know we don't have hay rides or anything you can right. kind of wander around and look at the chickens but they say, no, just pay for what you what you've got and, and uh, whatever you pick and so people are generous with this and that's one of the good things about being small scale. It's more of a, a person to person thing. We're dealing with each other as people primarily rather than customer proprietor. Right. That's the way we like to approach it. I think in the long run, it's just a more human, human thing to do. Well, great. I um, appreciate your time here and um, had a chance to look at uh, the experiment, which uh, Robert here is letting me run for the second time this uh, past season. Um, solarization experiments which that's another subject but <laughs> um, anything else you'd like to tell the uh, folks uh, actually just if you're going to start this they always tell you anyway it's what everybody says to do but then nobody follows the advice start small 
So your learning curve is cheap because you will have immense amount of failures. And basically, if you're going to do small scale farming, you've got to sell direct to your customers and don't schlep stuff all over. Every hour you're on the road is an hour you're not you're not farming and you're in this to farm. Great. That's it. Pacific Star Gardens. Anybody can look us up on Google. Shoot me an email if you have questions. Very good. You're on Facebook too, right? Uh, yeah, my wife runs the face. Yeah. I call the Face Blocks page. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you much, Robert. You bet. Pleasure, Martin. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Additional information about this episode and related resources can be found at atra.incat.org. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Voices from the Field wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Rich Myers. ATRA, Voices from the Field, is produced by the National Center for Appropriate Technology, headquartered in Butte, Montana. It's supported by the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service as part of NCAT's ATRA Sustainable Agriculture Program. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this recording are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the USDA or NCAT. We'll catch you again next week, and until then, keep on farming.